Well, in, uh, in 1993, we, our family lived on a dead-end road called Rutledge Road. We were the only house out, out on the end of the road. Except uh, up on the top of the hill, there was a little trailer. And it's a family that lived in, in that trailer. Uh, a couple of weeks before Christmas, we decided that, I, I decided that while the girls were away shopping one night, that I would take the boys out to the shop and... I took them out to the shop, built a little bit of a fire so that we could work out there in the cold. And, and I took a board and I started putting nails in the board. And the boys were little, they were like, what are you doing, Dad? And I go, just keep watching. After a while, I gave them a string of lights and I said, let's put this lights around these nails on the board. And I strung the lights around the nails on the board. I said to one of the boys, plug it in. And they plugged it in, a star. I risked my life that night climbing up the inside of the ladder in the gable end of the huge barn to hang that light up in the gable end of the barn. You could see it from out on the highway. You could see it all over the valley. As long as my kids are alive, they'll have that memory. As long as I'm alive, I'll have that memory embedded in my heart. When the girls came back from shopping, they didn't see it. I said, come get back in the car. And we drove out to the highway. I said, look back in the, at the house. I was like, oh, the star. The neighbor kids that lived up the hill, there was a guy named Andy and his wife that lived up in the trailer on the hill. And they had two kids, Lorelei and, and Andrew, Andy Jr. And when Lorelei and Andy saw our star, they started pestering their dad. They said, dad, you got to put a star up on our place. And uh, so he grabbed a, 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 a string of lights and he climbed their <laughs> television tower. Back then, to get television, you had to have a tower. Oh, well, never mind. Anyway, so he climbed the television tower, and he put this, string, this bunch of lights, and he kind of wound them up around the top of that television tower. And I remember that Lorelei and little Andrew came down and said, look what my dad did, look what my dad did. We went out and looked up on top of the hill, and we saw their lights were out. On Christmas night, we had some guests, and there was a knock at the door. It surprised us because we didn't see anybody drive up. And we figured maybe somebody brought us a treat or something. When we opened the door, what we saw was very sad. The mom was standing there with tears on her face, and the kids were clinging to her. And she said, can we come in for a little bit? Andy's been drinking, and it isn't really safe for us to be up there. I called my mom, and she's coming to get us. Can we come in? I'll never forget that family coming in on Christmas night and hub, sitting there on the couch together, kids on both sides of mom, clinging to her mom with shame on her face. And about an hour, a car came, and they got in the car, and they drove away. And that was the last that we saw of Andy and Lorelai and their mom. Because even at this most wonderful time of the year, we live in a world of hurt. We live in a world of terrible hurt. It's Christmas, and it is the most wonderful time of the year. But really only for those who understand why. And that's why, that's why Jesus came. We're in a series of messages, why did Jesus come? And we're studying a passage in the Bible, just one story. We've been digging into the story from different angles every week. Why did Jesus come? 
the world that we live in is full of hurt, even at Christmas time, like Dela said. And the, and the world that Jesus came to was full of hurt. And the world that the passage that Jesus read in the story that we're going to study today came from the prophet Isaiah, and Isaiah wrote that passage in a world full of hurt. And today, we're going to study that again. Look in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. This is a story of Jesus coming back to his hometown in Nazareth. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words which were coming from his mouth. The first week that we studied in Luke 4, we noticed that Jesus came anointed by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit on a mission. And we say, why did Jesus come? The truth is, Jesus was sent in an agreement in the Godhead. In the councils of eternity, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the holy angels in council together decided ahead of time that Jesus would be sent into the world. And he was sent to do what? According to the text, the next week we studied, he was sent to pro- primary, primarily to proclaim good news. God is a missionary God. God's book is a missionary story. God's son is a missionary. And then we're going to see this week something more. So Jesus was sent. You remember learning in uh, Sunday school, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Bible teaches that Jesus was sent into the world on a mission, and his mission was to say, to give good news to people who were hurting in a lot of different ways. People who were spiritually poor, people who were spiritually enslaved, people who were spiritually blind, and people who were spiritually oppressed. And if we read the Bible with wisdom, and if we understand the world around us the way God who made the world around us wants us to understand, then we realize that all of us are poor spiritually. All of us are bound in bondage to sin. All of us are spiritually blind, and all of us suffer from spiritual oppression and the way out for all of that is the good news of the gospel and the good news of the gospel is very simple as it's expressed in first corinthians 15 1 jesus christ died for our sins christ died for our sins in other words god didn't come to create a merit program for the world he came to rescue the world and that's really good news so even in a world of hurt we have a message of good news for people jesus came to the world with this message. Now, understand this. So, so that's what we have so far. First of all, to understand 
that when Jesus came into this world, he came in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he ministered in the power under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He had, he had miraculous, supernatural, dynamic power. And he says, and, 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 the, and that mess in the ministry that he had was to proclaim good news, to tell that he would die, rise again for the sins of people who were spiritually bound, spiritually blind, spiritually oppressed, spiritually enslaved, uh, spiritually poor. Then, this week, the heart of this message is simple. The message that God sent Jesus on is the, is the, the, the sorry, the mission that God sent Jesus on is the mission that Jesus has sent us on. Now, you've heard this before, but I want you to stay with me today. I, I speak in a heart of love for you, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. This is incredibly important that we understand God is a missionary God. God's story is a missionary story. God's son is a missionary. And God's people are to have a mission. Have a, have a mission. We, have, we are to be missionaries. And it might sound really intimidating to you. And, and, it, and, and it is challenging. But God has empowered us. God has equipped us. God has placed us. God has enabled us to have an influence, to be able to get the good news to people who need good news. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus said to them in John 20 and verse 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And you're familiar with a number of places in the New Testament where we're given what when Jesus, shortly before he ascended back to heaven, gave what we often call the Great Commission, or he gave us a mission. He gave all of his followers a mission, and the mission was to, to go into all the world and to proclaim good news. All of us then have the privilege, all of us have the power, all of us have the responsibility to somehow get the message of good news to people who are living in a world of hurt. This is what Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. So this gospel that we proclaim, as you can see in the life of Jesus, is always to be embedded in the soil of good works. In other words, we don't just say, hey, Jesus died for your sins. First of all, we might teach them the law of God so they understand the weight of their sin. I had an occasion to talk to a funeral coach driver this week on a long uh, funeral uh, procession that we were in. And he said to me, he's a very nice man and, we, and has a religious background, training in a parochial school. And he said, I can't imagine that I have sinned so bad that I deserve to go to hell. And so in my mind, I just realized here's a, a dear man who needs to have the law of God taught to him. I wanted to say to him, do you, did you have, were you under the impression that God was grading on a curve? And as long as you're not the worst, but this is not what the Bible teaches, right? So had a chance to talk to him about what Jesus taught. The parts that Jesus would say, you've heard this, but I say this. You say, you know, you haven't killed somebody. No, but you've been angry. That's enough of a sin to go to hell. I'm, I'll never forget the time my mom taught me from the Sermon on the Mount that if you say thou fool to somebody, you've sinned enough to go to hell. i never forget the first time as a young man, my eyes laid on the passage, my eyes laid on the passage where Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust after you committed adultery in your heart, it's enough of a sin to go to hell. In other words, the, in a popular culture, you'd have to sin really, really bad over and over again in really egregious ways to deserve to be separated from God forever, but not in the Bible. I talked to him about that for a bit. We had a lengthy ride and a good conversation about that. But this gospel that we give is to be embedded in the soil of good works. Jesus did it because he could, he could heal people, he could feed people, he could just deliver people from demonic oppression. And Christians still do that today by going and teaching. 
and giving the gospel, by going with medicine and giving the gospel, by helping a neighbor and giving the gospel. The Bible is full of this. You do good works, but the good works themselves are not the thing that delivers people. They're the soil in which you plant the seed of the gospel that, that God died, Jesus died for their sins. Another way to say it, if you're mus- many of us are musicians, uh, many of you are musicians, another way to say that would be the words are the gospel. The music is the good works. And so God's program, God's plan is for, for us to go on this mission and to tell the good news to people, but to play the music of, of good works. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about some questions. Why is this important? How do I do it? And then some searching questions. Why is it important? Why, why am I talking to you about this today? I think you, you might be thinking, Pastor, it seems to me you've talked about this before. You know, I will never stop talking about this. And I'll tell you why. Why is this so important? Why is it so important to get good news to people? First, it's because what, it's what everybody in the world needs most. Without this good news, they're lost. Without this good news, they're under condemnation. They're, they're headed for eternity without God. Whether they even understand it or not, it's what they need the most. And then it's what God commands. We've already been over that. And the Bible teaches that if we disobey what God commands, if we, if we don't do what God says, we're, we're diso- it's sin. To not be involved in, in, in the mission of Jesus is to disobey God, is to sin against God. And if it's, if it's a sin for us to, to neglect this command, then you can be encouraged to know that every single one of us has a way that we can be involved in this wonderful good news distribution, if you will. To neglect this, and the Bible says in James uh, 4, 17, probably the brother of Jesus wrote, whoever knows to do right and fails to do it, to him it's sin. But beyond that, it's really good for you. It's what God made you to do. It's fulfilling and it's joyful. Even if, you, if you've had some occasion to try to get the good news to people, it's even fun when you fail. It's even fulfilling when you fail. When you know that you've given the truth to somebody and you've told them the way, there's a sense of uh, joy in that. There's a sense of fulfillment in that. When you make the way plain to somebody, uh, I remember in the countryside in Ohio years ago, I started a, a little small group with families that, couples that were, uh, that had kids on our son Chuck's t-ball team. And some of them had shown some spiritual interest. And so we got a number of them in one house six weeks in a row. And we had a little Bible study on the basic message of the Bible. And all of them there were, were not believers. And all of them asked questions. And some of them were hard questions. And all of them kind of pushed back. And every night we would go and we would have this Bible study and it was a healthy, good conversation, but none of them were, were believers. And when I finished the Bible study, none of them were believers. But when I drove home that night, I said to my, my son, our oldest son Kyle was with us, who was helping. I said, Kyle, I feel like I was in the heart of Christian ministry tonight because I know that I get, made the gospel plain to these people. And many, many years later, I found... One of those couples came to know the Lord. They're still walking with the Lord. Um, beautiful memory. But I remember the fulfillment of that. I covet this for you. That, that you would be involved in the mission of Jesus in such a way that you would have that sense of fulfillment, sense of meaning, sense of significance, sense of kind of an eternal weight of, of what you do. It's good for you. And there's great joy in it. The Bible says in the Psalms, uh, Psalm 126 and verse 6, He who goes out weeping and bearing seed for sowing will come with, home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. A general principle, when you go out and you sow seed, and the gospel is often, telling people the gospel is often called sowing seed. 
when you go out sowing seed, eventually you'll come back with a harvest someday. And there's this joy in that. There's a powerful joy in that. The Bible says in Luke 15, Jesus told those stories. He made up those stories about the prodigal son, do you remember? And over and over again in those three stories that lead up to the prodigal son, the lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, in between there's that little refrain, and so there will be rejo- there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven over one sinner who comes to repentance. Now think about that just for a minute. What is it you get happy about? What is it that you rejoice about? What is it that makes you want to shout? What is it that makes you happy? Well, I don't know, but I will tell you this. Up in heaven, when a sinner comes to repentance, there's joy in the presence of the angels of heaven. And if our hearts are tuned to God's heart, and the thing that makes us rejoice the most is when somebody realizes, without Christ, I'm lost, but God sent his son Jesus to die for me. I believe. My sins are forgiven. I'll follow him. There's joy in that. There's nothing you can buy, nothing that you can give, nothing that you can own, nothing that you can experience that will give you greater satisfaction. Nothing matters more, nothing matters longer than this. There's a doctor came to our church one day, Dr. Meliodes was his name. After the church service, I remember a young man, he came up to me and he said, I appreciate the service today. I'm a Christian, but I'm concerned for my parents. He said, my parents live in town and I wonder if you would go visit my parents. I said, I'd be happy to visit your parents. He said, just invite them to church, witness to them. They're nice people, but they need a Lord. I drove in town a little bit nervous, go call on somebody that I really didn't know. I didn't know if I'd be welcome. They were kind, polite to me. Our whole conversation was just sort of polite. And um, what I didn't know was that it wasn't just me and that couple. There was a woman in the other room that was listening to everything you said. Her name was Jane. She had a little boy named Zach. She had a husband named Gary. At the end of the call that I made, which didn't seem like it went very well, Jane came out of the room and she said, I heard what you said. I'm very interested. I have a little boy. He's a handful. It, it seems like maybe you could help me. Would you rec- what, you, what kind of things could you recommend? I said, I recommend you talk to my mother. Uh, that would probably be more helpful than anything. And she laughed. I was sitting in my study the next Sunday morning. I heard a car pull up outside the window. I looked out and it was her. She had a little boy, she had a little girl, Zach and Amy. She's alone. She wrestled the kids out of the car seats and brought them in, put them in the nursery. They were holy terrors. Zach was a holy terror. Amy was not. But Zach, the, people, the ladies in the nursery came to me and said, you got to do something. I'm like, do what you have to do. Just, we're, we're trying to help this lady. She began to mention that she was having trouble in her marriage and her marriage was probably going to end and Gary, was her husband, was, was depressed and he was angry and he was suicidal, we found out later. A couple Sundays later, she was talking to me. I said, this, you know, I said, don't leave him, stay with him. A couple Sundays later, she was talking with some of the ladies and she was crying and I said to the ladies, what happened? They said, well, she left Gary. That night, I, I called Gary on the phone. Gary Mickle is his name. And I said to him, I said, Gary, I said, I, I encourage your wife not to leave you, but, you know, I can't talk her into staying with you forever. I, we, we should probably talk. I, I have some things that might help you. I wish I could tell you the whole story, but let me just skip forward to the next Christmas. The next Christmas in that church, I had an idea. I wanted to put out luminaries on Christmas Eve for the Christmas Eve service. I wanted everybody to see hundreds and hundreds of luminaries when they drove up 
to the little country church, but I couldn't do that myself. But there was a man in our church, a man that I had baptized that year. His name was Gary. He would do anything he could do to help other people come to know the Lord like he'd come to know the Lord. And Gary got his truck that year, and he put sand in his truck, and he and Jane and the kids, they went, his son Zach went out there before Christmas Eve, and he put out like 300 luminaries for everybody to see. For all the time I live in that area, Gary was one of my closest friends, one of my greatest helpers. Today, Gary and Jane have known the Lord for many, many years and have raised their family for the Lord. I can't imagine something more satisfying than thinking back over your life and realizing that God, that you got to be a part in God bringing people to himself. There's just nothing I can imagine that's, more, that's sweeter than that, that's more important than that, that's more fulfilling than that, that's more lasting than that. Nothing. So how can you do it? Well, I've said this before, but let me give you some practical ideas. You should, you should probably have a prayer list running on your heart of people who you care about, who are around you, that are far from God. Do you, do you have one? You could, you could think of ways to love them. You could just think of ways that you would love them. You make cards. You could send them a card. You make pies. You can, you can make them a pie. You fix brakes. You could offer to fix their brakes. You, you're a good listener. You could listen to them. You're an encourager. You could say an encouraging word. You have a snow shovel. Maybe you could go over and help them with that. Or maybe you have a big snow plow or some way to help them. I, here's what I believe. When you say to God, God, I want to be involved. You know, I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not like, you know, a mile a minute talker like our pastor. I'm just me. So, God, I want to be used to, to nudge people closer to you. Don't you think our missionary God, who sent his missionary son and filled you with his missionary Holy Spirit and gave you a missionary commission and will reward you for your missionary efforts, will allow you to be a part of that in some way? I think so. I know so. And when you begin to pray that way, it's amazing. So, sometimes the, a family moving across the street, and, and you'll be praying that way, like one of our elders and a family will move in across the street. And a few months later, like happened here in our church, you'll see the, them get baptized. And their little kids will sing and play instruments on a Sunday morning. Now, I can't imagine something, anything in the world that's more fun than that, that's sweeter than that, to know I've been used to the Lord to help somebody forever. How do you do it? Well, you use your gifts that you have. I remember a guy named Ken, he was real halting in his speech in another church. He, real halting in his speech. He couldn't talk to people. He couldn't talk to anybody. He, couldn't, he wasn't good at spelling. He wasn't good at writing. He wasn't good at much of anything, except he was really good at fixing cars. And he, would, and he didn't have a lot of money. He just came to me and he said, Pastor, here's how it works. If you know of somebody who's worthy, you let me know who they are, and I will fix their car. He said, if they don't have any money, I'll get the money together, and we'll, we'll get the parts, and we'll hang the parts on. If they have money, we'll charge them a little bit for the parts. You just let me know. But he said, Pastor, your job is to figure out the people who I should really help. And the whole time I was there, that man would help. All the, all the older widows that didn't have much that were in the church knew and loved him. That's one of the things that he did. Here, here's what I'm saying. I, I think, do you use what you love to do what God loves do you use what you love to do what God loves? You like trains. There are other people who like trains that you could show an interest in them. They would show an interest in your trains. It would be as natural as could be to tell them what would really matter forever and forever. There are people who, who, who love the card making or the cross stitch or the vintage rescuing or, or they love dogs or cats uh, or they love, and Crystal, I'm so glad your cat's still alive. 
because in the middle of your story, I thought your cat was going to die, and I didn't know if I'd even be able to preach after that. So there are people there who love their pets, who love their honey, or they love their farm animals, or they love their wildflowers, and you do too. It'll be something you have in common, and as a person that you can naturally have a conversation with, it'll be the most natural thing in the world to love them, to listen to their story, and then when the time comes, the Lord will help you. You can cross the line into that gospel conversation that your circle of acquaintance is your mission field. You know, I'll tell you, I like to get, I like to preach the gospel, but you usually only get to like preach the gospel publicly on a Sunday. And there are other days of the week, so I often will pray that God will give me a chance in the summertime to go up north and to preach every night, every morning and every night. I love to preach every morning and every night. One summer, just for fun, I decided that I would preach like I forget how many, it was like a lot of, a lot of days in a row, and I can't tell you the number, but, it, but it's just sort of a fun thing. I'd arrange camps to go to, and so I'd preach on Sunday, and then I'd take off, and I'd go to a camp, and I'd preach twice a day, and one of the camps started on a Tuesday, so I had a gap. Nobody to preach to on a Monday, I just, and I said to Lois, I said, this is crazy. For the whole month, I preached every, every day, except Monday. I don't, I don't have anywhere, and I, and I got in my recliner that night and sat down and I looked out through the patio window, and my neighbor Joe Galubin was out there building a fire next door, and I thought, I got him. And I go next door, Joe is a great conversationalist. He talked for one solid hour without stopping. You gotta work to do that with me. And there he was, just talking, and just about what he was interested in. He loved conservative politics, and he, he watched Fox News, he knew all of that. He was just laying it on thick, man. He was giving me the whole business right there. And I thought, I'm not going to get a chance to talk to him about the Lord at all. About an hour in, I remember Joe stopped that night and looked at me and he goes, well, enough about me. I have some questions for you. And he began to ask me questions about God, Jesus, the Bible, the gospel. I, I honestly believe that my friend Joe Galuba will be in heaven today. He wasn't clear on the gospel. I got to preach that night. But every once in a while, I think, oh, I don't get to go preach here. That was up in, the, up in Flint once and I was thinking about wanting a place to preach. And I didn't have a place to preach. And I was, I was looking out the window down on the street in, out of this high-rise high hotel that we, we lived in it and we ran this. And I was praying about a place to preach. I was looking down on the street and I was saying to the Lord, you know, here I am, your faithful servant. If you want me to go to a camp somewhere where they will, you know, give me a room and food, pay me and stuff like that, I'll be happy to go sacrifice to do that. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me, okay, I know you would do that, but will you go down right there and witness to those guys on the street? And I said, oh, yes, I will. Here's what I think. I think it's a wonderful thing to get the privilege of somebody inviting you somewhere and giving you a nice room and food and treating you real nice, even giving you an honorarium when you're done. You know, I think when that happens, it's a lot of fun. But I also want to be faithful to walk across the street and to listen to my neighbor, and to love him, and to give the gospel to him. And I would hate the idea that my neighbor would say, I never knew what he believed. He was some kind of a reverend, and he used to go get in his car all the time with a briefcase, and he went, he'd dress up on Sunday morning and drive up, but I'm really not sure what he believed. I would never want that to happen. I wouldn't shove the gospel down an unwilling person's throat, but they should certainly know what you believe. They should know what I believe. You ever see an, an old guy and I say this with respect, an old guy that's really, really good at fixing up things, you know, he's got one of those garages that's really orderly, maybe some of you guys are this way, 
and there's nothing he can't fix. And, and he goes to the hardware store, and he loves the hardware store because he's always building his tool knowledge. And he's always knowing what tool would do what. And he has skill, and he has giftedness, and he has tools. And this is his thing, and he's really good at it. I watch people like this. I'm not this way. Sometimes guys will help me, and I'll just watch them. They're so natural at what they do. They know just the right tool. They know just, they, they know, they, they have experience, so they know just what to do. This is the way we ought to be about gospel conversation with people. Maybe we're kind of clumsy about it right now, but we should build our tool case, our tool chest, if you will. We should build our skills. We should work on that because it matters so much if you think about that. And I would recommend that you do that. And understand this, that, that as you develop your like, gospel conversation skills, good questions to ask and good ways to talk to people, you're just really becoming faithful at being on the mission that Jesus gave. Remember this, it's a team effort. So, so God is going to use different people. Remember what Paul said, was, was a powerful missionary. And Paul said, you know, one plants and, and then another waters. And what's the rest of this? God gives the increase. I won't embarrass anybody, but every Saturday morning, our elders pray. That's the time we really look forward to. It's on Zoom right now. It's really pretty sweet. All the elders gather on Zoom, and they pray. They pray for you, and they pray for one another, and they pray for wisdom about the church, and they share their stories of witnessing. One of the brothers was mentioning about his witnessing to a neighbor. He described them working hard together, and then him inviting them in the house, and then him talking to him about the gospel and making the gospel very plain to him. And, uh, and then he, he said, kind of as an aside, he said, I'm not really very good at this. And I laughed because I thought to myself, that is exactly what you do. No superstar, missionary anywhere in the world would, would do it any better than you get to know somebody, you love them, you work with them, you, you have a real conversation with them, you show concern for them. But then you see what happens is that's plant, you planted seed, you told them the truth. And then somebody comes along later on and maybe repeats it. But then one day God says, boom, he gives the increase. He does the miracle stuff. Ours is, our job isn't to do miracles. It's to tell the truth to people. It's to plead with people. It's to appeal to their conscience. It's to teach them the law. It's to share the gospel with them. It's to tell our story so that they, so, so they don't just think that it's just kind of a religious fog out there and maybe if they're kind of good enough, there's kind of a foggy, unclear, maybe I'll be okay with God if I'm religious enough thing. That's a sad thing, because that's not the gospel. Jesus came to proclaim the gospel, to tell them the good news. Jesus died for your sin. And so you think about, these are questions. You say, Pastor, I think you're trying to make me feel guilty. It's like, well, to, make, to, to manipulate people, to make them feel guilty about things they shouldn't feel guilty about, is it, to get them to do what you want them to do is, is, a, is an ugly kind of manipulation. But to appeal to people about something they really ought to be doing and aren't doing or could be doing and, and aren't experiencing, that's the job of the pastor, to appeal to their conscience. That's a high and holy thing. This is what I'm trying to do. We in our church had a great tragedy just recently. One of the young men that God sent to our church who came to faith in Christ and was, was very faithfully discipled and very faithfully attended a Bible study on the weekend of Thanksgiving took his life and all of us have thought oh God, what if we could have known that he was hurting that night? What if we could have known that he was needy that night? 
many of us would have gone. Many of us would have gone immediately to be with him and to love him. But it helps us to realize we need to ask ourselves some hard questions at a time like this. We just have to ask ourselves some hard questions, some kind of gut check questions. Can I ask you these questions I've been asking myself? I, I say it not to manipulate you, just to appeal to you, just to challenge you, just to encourage you. Do you pray for people who are far from God? Do you care? Do you open your heart? Do you invite people? Do you work on your gospel conversation skills? Are the excuses that you use really valid? Moses had a speech impediment, but God used him. Jeremiah felt too young, but God used him. Noah had gotten drunk in a shameful way. God used him. Abraham was old. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep when they were with Jesus and he told them to pray. Timothy had some ulcers and problems. Think of all these things. And, and, and Lazarus was dead. So what's your excuse? What's your excuse? It's not valid, probably. But if you would just gently say, Lord, the pastor's scaring me today. I am not Billy Graham. But I see what he's saying. And I can pray for my neighbors. I can get to know people and pray for them. I can love people. I can come up with creative ways to point them to YouTube videos or to give them books or pamphlets. Or I can get them to come drag them into my office. I'll talk their ear off. I mean, you just, you know, whatever. Think about that for a minute. Our, our friend Ryan Butch, who passed, came here every week for a long time to a Bible study. He went through the entire Bible. When, when Ryan was injured, when we came to know him when he was injured because a mower fell on him. He had been invited by the Prines, their next door neighbor. He'd been invited. He'd come here. Uh, I went up to visit him in the hospital. It's kind of humorous. I went up to visit him in the hospital. I think Patrick went up to visit him in the hospital. He did. Um, I thought at the time, I thought this young man probably needs the Lord. I'll get to know him so that I can give him the gospel, you know, someday. What's humorous is there was another pastor that knew of him a uh, uh, one of these independent Baptist King James only type guys. He went up there to the hospital and he visited him and he gave him the gospel. Later on, Pat and I went out to his house and we were giving him the gospel. And I asked him if he was saved and he said he was. And I said, when did that happen? And he said, this guy came and he visited me when I was in the hospital. And he, he said, did, is, did I do it the right way? I'm like, you absolutely did do it the right way. Sometimes even believers despair of life. And that's one of the reasons why Christmas, even in a world of hurt, we should be people that are continually doing everything that we can to make the gospel plain to people who don't know the Lord. And that's why we should ask ourselves some hard questions. I have a friend who was really pretty good at going and getting people who were hurting. Because when he was a little boy, his family was all broken up. And people from the church came by and they picked him up on a bus and they took him to church. He eventually pastored that church and was powerfully used to the Lord. I asked him to come and speak to our church so that we would have this same spirit of reaching people who were broken and lost and hurting, you know. And he, said, he came to our church, this big, nice church, seen a thousand, beautiful church. And he said, wow, he said, this is a really nice church. And you are really nice people. 
And what you could do is you could just go out of the neighborhood and you could look for other nice people to come and join you. Nice people in this nice church. You know, people that aren't broken, people that aren't hurt, people that aren't, you know, struggling with addictions, people that aren't struggling with, you know, divorce and stuff like that. He goes, if you could just go out and find nice people to join all of you nice people in this nice church, he said, that would be really nice. And then he said, now the only problem with that is the way I see it, there aren't very many people out there like that. Matter of fact is, there probably aren't any people out there like that. Because all of us have been touched by the deep brokenness that's in this world. And our mission is not to be a whore, not to hoard the gospel, get the church to do what we want, get people to do what we like, programs for us. It's, a, it's to aim the church outward to people who are broken. And, and I could say so much more about that. I'm sure you know that I could. And one day I will. But I want to take you back before we quit today to the little family that lived in the trailer up on the hill. At the beginning of the message, I told you something that happened on Christmas of 1992. Well, the next Christmas, we, we made plans. We made, we made big plans. Lois's family was coming in town that year. And uh, we were, she was really in a happy mood. We bought a lot of extra stuff. And we'd gotten all the kids' gifts. We'd gotten gifts for our loved ones. My goodness, we got a bow for our golden retriever dog, put it around his neck. We went out, uh, and I risked my neck to go up on the, this steep hillside over the old abandoned road grade to find a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And I cut that with the kids one cold, blustery winter night. And I came back, and we, we set that up on the front porch so our guests would see it. We decorated it with lights. So... By Christmas night, you know, there was just a fragrance of Christmas things in the house, a beautiful tree inside, a beautiful tree outside. And a phone rang, and, and Lois got on the phone, and when she got off, she was really sad. And her mother, very, very timid and afraid to drive in any kind of bad weather, and her mother had called and said, it looks like it's going to snow, so I'm not going to come. And Lois was immediately crushed, and the whole family felt how sad she was. She was quiet, but you could just tell she was just crushed and sad. And all of us were quiet. And, um, and I thought about the family up on the hill and all this extra food that we had. And I said, honey, I'm going to hike up there and see if Andy's home. Because Andy lived alone up there now this year. And his wife and his kids were gone. I said, I'm going to go up and see if he's up there. And if he's eaten, and I hiked up the hill that night, and I knocked on the door, and I remember that after a while, the door opened up. It was real dark inside, and Andy opened the door and stood and looked at me, and I said, hey, Andy, Merry Christmas. He said, Merry Christmas. I said, you have guests? He goes, no, I'm alone. I said, have you eaten? He said, not really. I said, I could, I'd appreciate it if you would help us. I said, we got a ton of food down there, and our guests stood us up, and Lois is really sad. It would mean a lot to us if you would come down and if you'd be with us. He said, okay. I got I to tell you, it was pretty pitiful. Him to hike down that hill and sit down there and kind of awkwardly, you know, eat our meal together. But it's what we're kind of talking about right now. We're doing Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year, but it's in a world of hurt. And there are people all around us who are blind spiritually, poor spiritually, 
enslaved spiritually and oppressed, just like we were before we knew the Lord. And they need us to care enough about them that we'll pray for them, that we'll love them, that we'll invite them, that we'll have gospel conversations with them. That's our mission. We don't know how long we have, but we know that we have a mission to fulfill. Would you please stand with me for a minute? And I just think it'd be good for us to say, you know, when something as sad happens as what happened here, I don't think the church should go on and not stop and say to God, God, I'm so sorry. And I pray that you would help us. Many, many loved Ryan and befriended Ryan. It wasn't that he was neglected. So I hope you understand that's not what I'm saying. And there are a lot of mysteries surrounding this. But it, but it, it should be a providential reminder to us that even though Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year where there's no world of hurt, and the answer is for us to obey the mission of Jesus, to do what we can to proclaim the good news to other people. Pray with me, will you? In a moment, we're going to, after I pray, there will be, matter of fact, they should probably come right now, folks, that, that will pray with you if you like. And, and if you have something on your heart, you need prayer, maybe you have somebody you want to pray about, there'll be people that will be here to pray with you at the close of our service today. A couple of our elders or wives and we want to encourage you to come. Maybe you have a personal need. Maybe you, you need to know the Lord, and you're not sure that you know the Lord. And we can take care of that today. We can explain that today, and you can go home saved today. That's how it works. We can explain that. So I'm going to pray right now. Before I do, I just wonder how many of you would maybe indicate by lifting your hand, hey, Pastor, I, I feel convicted about this, and I want to be used on the mission of Jesus. Would you raise your hand up real high? I want to be used on the mission of Jesus. Okay. So God, that's all you need right there. God will use you if you want to be used. Let me pray for you right now. Lord, I pray right now for Ryan's family as they, uh, as they go through this un, un, unbelievable sorrow of losing such a beautiful young man. I also pray for those that are within our reach who are spiritually poor, spiritually blind, spiritually bound, spiritually oppressed. Help us to be a church that aims itself outward in a missionary way. That, that Lord, that we would have the heart of um, missionaries. That we would see our church as a mission outpost. And that, that Lord, even at this time of the year, you would give us opportunity and that we would take it to pray for people, to love people, to invite people, to have gospel conversations with people. We know that, Jesus, that's why you came into this world, and that's why you gave us your Holy Spirit, and you sent us into the world. So help us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.